welcome into the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Starr. We've got CBS writer Matt Norlander here uh, to talk about the draft. We got it on Thursday. So uh, it's going to be a great day. Uh, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you doing, Eric? I am fantastic. For those of you who don't know and are tuning in for the first time to this podcast or to this episode, Matt's my cousin, but uh, we've been talking about basketball for so long that uh, we wanted to get it on record here and talk about the draft. Yeah, man, it was a good time we did the last time, and now that we're so close, yeah, I mean, there are a number of things I'm interested in with this draft, Eric. Uh, primarily, I, I guess big picture, and we're going to get into a bunch of this stuff, um, and we can kind of lead off wherever you want to lead off here, but I just want to say before we get going, I do find this crop of players to be very interesting I do think that this draft will prove to be, a decade from now, one of the four or five best drafts since basically Larry and Magic came into the league. Having said that, it's key for people to remember, and as we listen, as you listen to this podcast and you watch the draft on Thursday night and you've been reading the content as you're going to do this, there will be, we do this every year, there will be picks in the top five, the top ten, the top twenty, that simply don't pan out, guys that won't stick in the league. You don't hear a lot about that leading up to it, obviously, because one, you know, it, uh, that doesn't necessarily garner huge interest to say, well, this guy is going to not be that good, and it's also hard to project that out. But just keep that in the back of your mind that it is inevitable. You look at any draft last year, the year before, over the past 40 years, the top 20 and even the top 10 do not produce automatic five, six, seven, eight-year players. There will be flameouts. It's just a matter of who that's going to be. We don't know. But even in a really stacked and loaded draft like this, those kind of players are out there. It's just circumstantial, and we wait and see. Um, definitely. I mean, it happens. I mean, if you look at those people try to do the redrafts, and you can barely even find 10 or 15 good players to do that, that even the – I mean, the casual fan will remember five, maybe, from a draft, and then the even the pretty diehards like us and other people will remember maybe 20. Um, but at, there were 60 players drafted that year, and the, a lot of them just do not make it. Yeah, it's <laughs> you're right when you do those redrafts. And a lot of it's a numbers game, Eric, because at a certain point you've got experienced, talented, all-world players in this league, and they're going to be better than the guys that are coming in for the most part. So... The guys are going to get squeezed off one way or the other, and it's just an inevitability. And one of the big things to remember about for those casual fans and for people listening is that it's all about opportunity. A player may be more talented than another player, but he goes later in the draft, gets the perfect opportunity to get better, to to optimize what the talents and the frame and everything that he has. For instance, Kawhi Leonard. Do we don't. I don't think Kawhi Leonard would be Kawhi Leonard if he was still on the Pacers. It's not as much of a likelihood, for sure. I agree. That's a great example. Now, part of that is also where he goes. I do think Kawhi Leonard would still like be an NBA-level starter, but would Kawhi Leonard be considered a top-10 player in the league if he was on Indiana? I don't believe so. Would Kawhi Leonard be considered a top-30 player in the league? I even think that's debatable. So you're right on the money with that. I feel like we might have talked about that on the last podcast. I know I've talked about it on podcasts during this draft season. Circumstance matter, situation where players go to matters, and it's a lot about how you fit on a given team and a given roster. Uh, those things can play a part. I do think for some players, uh, ability and talent will supersede almost any situation. And I'm not even talking about 
top 10 guys. Like, for example, I had to do a, a piece for CBS Sports that went up on Monday about the foremost overrated and the foremost underrated, or at least the stock was too high or stock was too low is, is the better way to put it. And to me, there's a guy in the second round who I think has a skill set that will allow him to be a 10-year player in the league, and no matter what franchise he ends up at, I do not think that he will play himself out of the league because he is so good. He was so reliable as a college player, and he is the kind of guy that I think has a great blend of modern NBA sensibility, but at the same time a lot of traditional values at his position that will enable him to be what I expect him to be is a is sort of a career backup. Now, do you have any sort of guess, if you haven't seen the piece, Eric, who, who would you think I might be talking about? I don't know if I even know enough people in the second round to know anything about that. I've I've been trying to keep with these top ten people and uh, do stuff like that. I don't know. Well, the guy is Monty Morris out of Iowa State. Now, Monty Morris is a four-year point guard, um, had one of the – as a career, I don't know if there's ever been a player in the past four decades that's had a better career – assist to turnover ratio than Morris who was ultra reliable in this past season he was especially good he is slotted in the 50s pretty much by any mock draft out there it would not shock me if he went in the 40s because I think he's good enough to warrant that um, I actually think he's worth an early second round pick but because he's older he's not a super athlete he's just kind of seen as a okay if we can get him and we have the right spot we want to back a point guard and he might even start off as a as a number three option at point guard his first couple of years. I just think he's the kind of guy whose talent will uh, will overcome no matter where he goes. And he's not, by any means, a first-round pick. For sure. For sure. And the Suns pick at the beginning of the first round, beginning of the second, and the end of the second. So they may pick him up at some point. Who knows? Um, we got a lot to go through here with all these different players. So, But first I want to know, you always have some really good article that goes up as you're seeing the draft. You've obviously done the draft for several years. I remember your, the year you followed around Lillard for a year for the draft, and then obviously the Isaiah um, article. Um, so, what are you working yeah. on this year? Well, um, this year, well, two things. One, uh, I, I had a big feature that went up a few weeks ago on Jake Wiley, and he is a prospect who may or may not get drafted. He's out of Eastern Washington. And I don't need to totally rehash his story. I'm guessing if some people have found this podcast because I tweeted about it, they probably read the story. But if there's anyone listening that hasn't seen it, I do recommend you read it because no player in this draft pool this year or in most years has taken a stranger path to get to this point than Jake Wiley. In short, he grew up in California, left California to live with his father in Washington State. He had parents that were never married, um... And so he goes to Washington, is a solid high school player, has a very shaky relationship with his dad. I won't even get into that. You can read some of the details there. He goes off to Montana, is a non-factor, starts to hate playing basketball, gives up basketball after his freshman year, joins the Montana track and field team, then wants to join the Montana football team. And for those who aren't familiar, the Montana football team is basically a top five uh one double a type of program over the past three decades uh he gets a real look and a real chance at it then he hurts his knee can't run track gives all this up there's even crazier stuff within that that you got to read about leaves goes and plays naia for a couple of years does well gets an opportunity to go and play at eastern washington does that out of nowhere becomes the league's player of the year and with this gets a chance to go to portsmouth 
balls out at Portsmouth, turns himself into a prospect. He's had, you know, a 12 to 15 workouts with teams, and from what I'm told, there are a couple teams that are are very interested in him to the point where if he doesn't get drafted before the night's over, he's gonna he's certainly gonna land on a roster to get a chance to uh, to make it through summer league. So um, that was a big story that I did in terms of what's gonna happen on. On draft night, it's a little different for me this year because you have the Lonzo and LeVar ball element, and it's such a predominant element. It's an easy story, obviously, but it will probably be. I don't want to say it will be the biggest story of the night because I can't say that, but it will be the biggest story of the night if Lonzo does not go to the Lakers, which everyone thinks that he's going to. But if he doesn't, then it's where is he going and what LeVar thinks. So... That's my first kind of thing on the docket, and then from there we we wait and see what else. Um, I wrote a piece about the NBA's age limit rule as it's currently built right now and how it benefits or doesn't benefit college basketball in the NBA, and could things change there? So perhaps uh, you know getting out of Adam Silver to speak a little bit more about that on the record, if there is a possibility, might be something that I also write about there. But uh, the draft is an interesting night because it, you know. Guys get picked, and and so they get picked, and it's you know it's it's a night to celebrate for them to celebrate things they've been working for toward their whole lives, but you know who's to say how that's going to work out for them or not, and it's on to the next major chapter. So um, in some ways it's worth it, in other ways it's not, but uh, I'm I'm obviously very interested this year because it's just such a loaded class. For sure. So you're saying it's really loaded? Like I mean, it's not. It's, do you think? It, I mean. The two that come to mind for me that have been so loaded for so many years is the LeBron draft and then the uh, one two years ago. What do you, you think is better than either of those? Not as good? Well, all right. So do you have the capability to bring up both those drafts so for listeners if they need kind of refreshers? I know on... several of them here. All right. So 2003, who was picked? I mean, I know a few of them. but LeBron, but... Chris Bosh, Mello. Um... Wade. Wade and Wade all in the top five or so, along with, uh, who was it, Darko Milicic or somebody else? Darko was uh, second, second that year, second right? That year, yeah. Hello, third. To expect this draft to be on that level really? is, no, 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 I'm saying too expected is way out of whack. It can't be that good. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, you've got LeBron, an all-time player, Wade, a Hall of Famer, I mean, is Chris Bosh or Carmelo Anthony a Hall of Famer? Melo will be because of Olympic and other stuff, yeah. I'd argue that Carmelo Anthony has not had... And now listen, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame, and I think because he got Syracuse a national title as a freshman, that is probably what's, what's going to get him in. It's the Olympics. Uh, he's, he's won. Yeah, but the Olympics, do, that doesn't really matter all that much because honestly, it's not seen as some massive accomplishment because of the talent that he's been surrounded by and the fact that the United States wins almost every single year and that they play in the Olympics. So uh, Olympic play never has and probably never will be something that vaults someone's Hall of Fame case, in my opinion. It's what you do as a professional and, to a certain extent, as a college player. Carmelo Anthony's NBA career at this point is not Hall of Fame worthy, and if he is to continue out his next four, five, six years in the league and never so much as even reaches the second round of the playoffs, there is a very strong argument that he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So I bring that up to say this. I don't necessarily expect that this draft is going to have two or three or four Hall of Famers in it, but if it winds up that that is the case, if 25 years from now, Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, 
Lowry Markinen and uh, like Justin Jackson. Let's just go way down the list. Or, or Harry Giles is way awesome. Like if you get like four Hall of Famers in, a, in one draft like this, then yeah, it's going to stack up with the likes of 1984, which had you know Jordan, Stockton, Barkley, Elijah, one, and all that stuff. So, so we'll have them both uh, up here. So let's let's go. Through, I'm going to go through some of the major players and see how good it is compared to those. Okay. Um, LeBron, Carmelo, Bosch, Wade, Chris Kamen, Heinrich. Kamen was good. Heinrich was solid. Um, Luke Ridnauer, um, David yeah. West. David West has had a really good career. Boris yep. Dia. Very good. Carlos Delfino, Kendrick Perkins, Leonard Barbosa, Luke Walton, um, and from uh, Steve Blake, Matt Bonner, Mo Williams, James Jones. It was that's a pretty good draft right there. Pretty solid. Okay. Solid. Pretty solid. And then we got we got 2015, which is. I mean, it's still so young, but yeah, roll through it. Still so young, but we got Towns, Russell, Okafor, Porzingis, Hazona, um, Kaminsky, uh, Winslow, Turner, Trey Lyles, Devin Booker, obviously, Ubre, Decker, um, Bobby Portis, Larry Nance Jr. I mean, there's tons of them. They're so young. Um, Harrell, Montrose yeah. Harrell. Those are some of the ones that have really been sticking out lately and and uh, so it's kind of an interesting draft, but in terms of this draft, how do you think those stacks up with the 2015 draft? I guess I think this draft will be better. Now, I don't think there is one player in this draft that's going to have a better career than Carl Anthony Towns, but I think the depth of this draft is so good. Like when you've got Caleb Swanigan, Josh Hart, Monty Morris, Jonah Bolden, Jawan Evans, who might turn into a stud of a point guard. He's like a poor man's Chris Paul. Um, you've got those guys lingering in the second round with a really good shot at being really good pros. Frank Mason was the national player of the year. He's projected as a as a mid to late second round pick, and maybe he doesn't stick in the NBA, but it wouldn't shock me if he did. Uh, Cinderius Thornwell is projected as a late second round pick. He was a top three two-way player in college basketball this past season. Um, to me, is one of the five or six players that is the most NBA ready right now along the lines of, say, uh, Shemi Ojale out of SMU, who will be a first-round pick, I think is very NBA-ready. Justin Jackson, I think, is fairly NBA-ready. Um, De'Aaron Fox, Jason Tatum, Lonzo Ball, Markel Fultz, these are all NBA-ready guys. Um, so I do think the depth of this draft is going to be good. I, I expect, if we talk come 2020 and we look back at the 2017 draft, we're going to have north of 20 guys in this draft that are still in the league and at worst contributing role players on teams. I do think it's going to be that deep of a draft. I can see that. So let's get, let's get focus in here on the top seven ish picks. Um, so it seems with the, with all the trade that the trade that happened, it looks like Fultz will go number one to Philadelphia. Um, I know you weren't really a Fultz guy, but uh, he seems to be the, I don't know, quote-unquote clear-cut guy that people want to go for for the number one. He really would fit well with Philadelphia and Ben Simmons and and, and Bead. Um, so then, then it's basically how what is that that first tier? If if you well, if you count Fultz in the first tier with all these, other I do. Players, what's the first tier? Yeah, I won't rehash my Fultz take. We went into it on depth in the previous podcast, which if you haven't listened to it. Do it before the draft. Some of this stuff is relevant. We might even have overlapping content. I very much consider Fultz in the same tier with Lonzo, uh, Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox, Dennis Smith, who a lot of people wouldn't put in that tier, but I do, Tatum, 
Um, I think that's where my tier ends because then I would go Lowry Markinen, um, Zach Collins, Jonathan Isaac. So you have Jonathan Isaac a, a level below that, and that's interesting. Yes. I'm not as big on Isaac as others. He's the guy that Suns fans are wanting him to, the Suns to pick. Um, and I just watched some stuff on him, and he, I'm, I'm okay with if they pick there. So the question is, because like, I'm also okay with De'Aaron Fox, I don't think it looks like Ball's going to two to the Lakers. If he doesn't, you got to pick him, even though you don't. Even though, like we said, Lavar is like not going to make an impact. He's not going to be as annoying on on there, but it's kind of like a whole circus with him. So he may not affect it, but uh, I the, the, it's just crazy. It'll be crazy. So you you got to you got to pick him if he lands at four. Right, you got to take him. Yeah, you got to take him um, just for the playmaking and everything that he can bring. But I was watching some stuff and. It almost doesn't matter. De'Aaron Fox, Jason Tatum, or Jonathan Isaac at at, at that number four pick. Um, what do you think is the most talented, most upside, most highest floor of those? Kind of take your pick with that. Highest floor of those three. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I would say Josh Jackson has the highest floor. Well, no, he he's going number three to the Celtics probably. So we'll. Well, who's to say the Celtics won't take Tatum? Well. If they do, then they gotta take Josh. Then you have to take Josh Jackson. So I guess we're just in this in the sense that if Fultz, Ball, and Jackson go one, two, three, that's the the scenario I'm going off of. Okay. Don't see. I don't see Celtics not. I don't. I don't know. Maybe they will take Tatum, and but I think I want since I would take Jackson over Ball. So I'm thinking that in this scenario we'll just take Tatum, Fox, and Jonathan Isaac. Highest floor of those is still Tatum. Um... Tatum needs a little more toughness to his game. Uh, probably commands the ball a little too much at the college level. But again, here's the thing. like Projecting how these guys are going to continue or diminish the habits that they've built up is sometimes really hard to do because what you're asked to do as a 14 to 17-year-old is not the same as what you're asked to do at the college level, although sometimes that kind of translates without much breakup, so to speak. But no matter what, even if that's true, when you get to the league, you are you are going to be asked to do different things and your responsibilities are going to change greatly. So And also it's like it's also like a uh you're able to actually practice all the time. You don't have to wait for certain times when practices are being held or anything like that. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. From that perspective, everything changes because basketball then becomes your full-time job. And um, for a lot of guys, that's a great thing because then they can really enhance who they are. For some guys, it's a bad thing because then there are no other obligations to kind of tether them away, and you get to kind of see who really wants it and who doesn't and all that stuff. With, With Tatum... I know the kind of player that he was at Duke, and for the most part, I did like what I saw. Um, but he's a guy sometimes that like wanted to bring the ball up the floor and sometimes wanted some sort of ISO stuff and sometimes just relied on his soft fadeaway way too much, which is a pretty-looking shot, but not something that he should be considering in his one, two, three, four go-tos. So I still think he has a higher floor than Fox, who 
also has a very good floor, but if he never develops a jump shot at the NBA level, is going to be a good player, but not an all-star type of player, because if you cannot create your own offense and you can do everything else well, you're still going to be boxed into a certain point. Isaac is a lot of fun. I can understand why people look at him and say there's so much in him that's sort of the future of the NBA because he's about 6'10", 6'11", uh, lean, kind of like this power three almost, more than a four in my opinion, can handle the ball, but he doesn't use the pick and roll well in my opinion. He's not a good distributor. He can be an even better rebounder than he's proven to be. and needs some weight. He's got some solid length to him. I don't know for sure how effectively he's going to be able to generate offense at the next level, and I don't see him as a projected top 25 defender at the NBA level. So with all of that said, Eric, the fact that he is projected as like kind of this consensus top seven prospect, I don't totally line up with. Although, if he taps into all that stuff, then clearly he is. If I'm Phoenix... I'd go Tatum first, Fox second, Isaac third in that order. Um, and not just necessarily because Tatum, I think, has the highest floor. Um, you know more about the team needs than I do, specifically with Phoenix. Uh, but I do think, and I think I said this on the previous podcast, like Tatum is going to be able to average 18 to 20 at the NBA level relatively quickly, quickly in my opinion. And he's got a good build to him. Uh, he's a really mature kid. You could, you know, he's going to do well overall. Um, if I'm Phoenix and he's there, I probably take him. Um, and just real quick, if it was between Tatum or Jackson, I take Jackson because he is a top two, top three athlete in this draft. Some people think he's the best athlete in this draft. Elite defender, good length, good energy. Not a shooter, but an okay scorer. And I just think that he will grow into a player that's a shade shy of what Jimmy Butler is right now. So not like, like, all right. So Eric, my, like I followed the NBA, but I don't follow it on a day to day basis or even a week to week basis in the college basketball season. My impression is that if you listed out the best players in the NBA right now, I would guess Jimmy Butler is probably what, 12, 13, or 14? Is that right, or would you say he's even worse than that or even better? Um, I'd say maybe off the top of my head, obviously, I could go through it and, and I could actually pick probably, but I'd say maybe 17. 17? Or, okay, so let's say 17. If that's Jimmy Butler, I think Josh Jackson, five years from now, could be like the 20th best player in the league. Um and which is obviously really, really, really good. And if you're saying, whoa, we could get the 20th best player in the league four or five years from now with the fourth pick, you take that instantly. I think his innate ability as a really good basketball player, his good defensive instincts make him a very intriguing prospect. And I get why, if he indeed is the guy that Boston's going to target, um, they would take him. But uh, But obviously both those guys are just really enticing. Yeah, so it seems like basically... Which whoever I mean, if 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 Fultz and Ball go one two, then it's like okay, pick whoever Celt- the Celtics don't pick. Uh, if there's no barring any kind of weird trades, but then yeah, so you're you're on a Tatum. But the thing for us for Suns people is that 
you don't need Tatum to be a scorer. You already have whoever the point guard is, if it's Bledsoe, if, unless you get a point guard, um, and then Booker, and then Warren. So unless Warren's like a back of a, a, a second string, like off the bench guy. Um, and then you have Chris and Bender. So you need a defender to help one, because Chris is still floundering a bit. But he's, some people really believe in him. I don't believe in him as much as some others at the moment. And then you have Bender waiting in the thing. So, I mean, so Isaac and Fox, like, if you're... Well, you only get Fox in the sense that if you think you should or need to trade Bledsoe, which I'm not really on board with that, but you, if that's your the way to go, then if Tatum or... If Tatum is still on the board and you don't want Tatum, then you you get Fox. Um, and I my comps for Fox, I was looking at him today. It's he's somewhere between Patrick Beverly and Michael and Mike Conley. What do you think? Um, he'll be better than Beverly, who I know is like you know a real like element when he's on the floor. Uh, Beverly is he was good in the playoffs, man. He's not going to be as good as Conley um, on the whole. I don't think De'Aaron Fox will be as good as Conley on the whole. Um, and Con- I know I know Conley's not an elite NBA point guard, but he's turned into obviously uh, such a such a strong one. Um, I think that's good. You can't deny the speed factor. And John Calipari, who is coach Fox, and John Wall actually said Fox is faster than Wall. Um, so there will be elements to that as well. Um, His athleticism though looks better than both those players. Is that true? He's pretty athletic. Um, I, I, yes, I, I think that's. I think that's fair and accurate, yeah. So the, the question is, that is, I mean, in a very binary kind of way, I mean, I guess we don't know what Warren is yet. He's getting he's getting better. I'm more of a believer in Warren. I Like I said in the last podcast, I see a lot of Wade cutting stuff, and he's got the floaters, and he's always so crafty. I see him and Tatum as kind of the same kind of guy. I think Tatum's a couple inches taller. Um I think uh, so. The the question is like, is Tatum that much better that you got to take him? And then it's, you have just like basically the same player, both at small forward, but you need a better defender next to Booker. So that's the question. Uh, I mean, Tatum is going to be an acceptable defender, in my opinion. Um, Which Warren is not right now. I, I listen. I mean, I can't speak to Phoenix Suns personnel plans or issues. Jason Tatum is going to amount to a better pro than TJ Warren. So that's something to consider. That's my opinion, obviously. Um, so that's something that you need to consider. But you cannot deny that he is a shooter and a scorer, and he's going to want to get his. And and when and watching him at Duke, like sometimes he forced the issue. Sometimes it was through the, flu- the fluidity of the offense. Um, depends on how much he wants to command the ball as a as a rookie, which I wouldn't think would be too, too much there. Well, uh, no, that's the problem. It's like Bledsoe and Booker, and then, like, right. how yeah, how is he going to have any shots? I know, um, and that's something to, to take into account there. So it's it's definitely fascinating. Um, Phoenix is in a good spot here in that this draft has – because in some drafts, Eric, you have either a clear-cut number one then a tier, or usually like a top three in a tier – to me, the, the tier is five, six, seven players deep. And although the chances are solid that one of these guys, like I'm telling you, Fultz, Ball, Tatum, Jackson, Fox, uh, Isaac. One of them's going to flame out. One of them's going to flame out. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. You never have the top six players in a draft 
all succeed uh, and stick in the league and make it to a third contract or even necessarily a second contract. So um, that's something to consider there. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what they end up doing on Thursday night. For sure. And there is probably, I mean, McDon- McDonough always does something like there's a possibility they trade something, get two of the guys like they did last year. They got Bender and Chris. I mean, they could do something like that again. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's been, they, the Suns have been leaked or seen to be part of as a third team in this Jimmy Butler, Paul George sweepstakes as, as taking on somebody. Um, it's a, the question of then is rebuilding. And we've talked about this on hundreds of all the podcasts, it seems like, um, between you and me and other people. So the question is just kind of like, what are they going to do? To me, I have in this sense of it almost doesn't matter because the only person I would not want them to take is, some kind of elite shooting guard, which they already have in Booker. So, but there isn't seem to be an elite shooting guard here in the top six players. So, there's no issue. Yeah, the only one that could be argued that's an elite shooting guard is Malik Monk. I would fight back on the notion that he's an elite shooting guard, in my opinion. Now, he's an elite shooter and a good scorer. He just does not do enough other things that will make me label him as an elite player. I think his stock is overvalued. I would, I would take. Dennis Smith, I would take, I think I would take Donovan Mitchell before I would take Malik Monk. Um, and then it gets interesting. I, I think I'd take Malik before Luke Kennard and, and, and a player like that. Um, but Malik is like a top 12 prospect in this draft, don't get me wrong. I just think people assume he is going to like step into the league within the first three years and be averaging 20 points. I'm not convinced of that. He disappeared a lot during Kentucky's games. Now, he had some huge moments as well. But, yeah, there is no there is no elite shooting guard, you know, that role specific in this draft. The closest thing actually might be Fultz because he's listed as a point guard. And, yes, he's going to want the ball in his hands to be a playmaker and distributor. But I actually think if you really, if you really split him down the middle – to me, he's more shooting guard than point guard, and it will be interesting to see if Philadelphia, what they do there, because the plan is for Ben Simmons to be like a true point. At 6'10". Yeah, but when you've got faults in the mix there, I'll be interested to see how that that works out with them, because you've got options, and that's good, but um, I don't know. I don't, I, I'm not sure how that totally will work. I think it can, but I want to see what role Fultz settles into. If that's the case, because if you did have Simmons, truly, if you really want, because if Simmons, Simmons to me has the capability to be a point guard, okay, a tall point guard, but a point guard like Magic Johnson once was, obviously not at Magic's level. If you did that and then you shifted Fultz off to being a yes, undersized two, I still think that he might be able to have a you know some relative success there. I mean, that creates a lot of interesting mismatches for sure. Certainly, in guard, in guarding, and trying to match up. Um, so about this, like. Trying to, but just had it, but uh, the Suns and Tatum and all this. So none of these players are. Are do you think? Here's the question: Do you think either Tatum, Jackson, Ball, Dennis Smith, Jonathan Isaac, any of them are ever going to be better than Booker? Uh that's a really tough and really good question, Eric. Because <sighs> I don't even know how good Booker's going to be. Like I know he's been good, I know he's been good, but like let's like let's give it two more seasons worth of evidence here to see what he is, what he becomes. Okay. Um. 
if you're making me pick yes or no and you're giving me the entire group, I'm going to say yes. I think the talent here is so good. Like let's remember like Booker was obviously a lottery pick and he had a he really was he was accurately assessed and scouted and projected for where he was picked to be obviously he's he's obviously been even better than what was expected, but like there were some who thought it might have been reaching to t- pick Booker when he was picked uh, in the 2015 draft, but that's turned out to be that's turned out to be you know some really good scouting by the Suns there. Um, but yeah, I do think that there will be players from that crop that will wind up being better than Booker. Yeah, the reason the only reason I'm saying is because I've at other podcasts I've been talking about Booker not being the best player on a championship team, but being the second best player. And then the question is, do you find the best player? Now, I so far, obviously, we have to wait many years to figure to see if this was ever true. But in my mind right now, I don't see any of these players becoming that best player, the Carl Anthony Towns to uh, Devin Booker's Wiggins or something like that. So in the, in the very general sense of one versus number two on a championship team, which the Timberwolves could have in many years, several years. It will uh, it will be interesting to see. It's a very intriguing time with the NBA. I mean, as we record this podcast, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are who knows what's even going on with them. And I find this dichotomy. I know uh, Griffin's out. You know, apparently, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, you know Dan Gilbert wants Chauncey Billups to run the Cleveland's offense. But here's what I find interesting about just this entire week. So you've got almost two worlds going on here because, you know, temporarily at least it looks like Cleveland is still set up to be the representative in the East next year in Golden State as well. Obviously things could change. It's hard for historically for the same team to make the finals four years in a row. It has not happened all that often in the past 40 years. Um, so you've got that, right? And those teams are on top of, of the NBA world, and they're the teams that, like, that matter. You've got a couple teams you know, kind of nipping on their heels. And then you've got the draft, and you've got all these teams that, frankly, are just irrelevant, trying to chase, trying to land, and trying to build up. And all this attention is paid to these players and these franchises this week, but what is it really going to amount to? You know, We talk about so much of this stuff that's happening in the here and the now. This stuff won't pay off for years to come, Unless you're one team, and that's Boston, which finds itself in the very unusual spot here, where it's it's you know it's at the top of the draft now, it gets to trade out to the number three spot to get the player that it wants, and is stockpiling picks. And I find that very fascinating because right now Boston is the second best team in the East. It's young, it's got the capability to trade for proven players if it wants to, or to just totally get young and stockpile picks. Obviously, I don't think that's what they're going to end up doing because I think Ainge has a, has, a, has a long game at play here. But the fact that you've got the team with more titles than anyone in the sport um, kind of at this intersection of being you know, a top five, top six team in the NBA and also being in the, in the mix of the, of the top of the draft, I find very interesting. And yet now people are... Somewhat staking Danny Ainge's reputation as a general manager on the fact that he is willing to give up Markel Fultz, uh, and in doing this, is, is it going to be the play that vaults Boston past Cleveland in the next two years? Or is Fultz going to become a superstar? Whoever Boston drafts becomes a whatever guy, and it will forever kind of mark the diversion for Boston from here on out. I find that to be an interesting storyline. And fascinating about that is also that that probably means 
that they're picking what Tatum or Tatum or Jackson, and that they're probably going to supermax Isaiah Thomas. That's probably what it means. Yeah, crazy two hundred million to that guy, which is he's so good, but it's like really. I know it's interesting to think about because it's now you watch Thomas play, and some of the tape is just undeniable. Uh, but in the big picture, is he the guy that you want to be the franchise player, the super max guy? I can understand if you have doubts about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, one other thing here is uh, about Josh Hart. Can you give me a more about him? Is he, he's been to the Suns to work out about two or three times. Looks like they're who he's who they may be targeting with the 32 pick. Um, what do you know about him? And let's get a little background on him. Oh, I'm glad you asked about Josh because if he goes that high, I think that would be great, and he's deserving of going that high. I know I've seen him in mocks be sort of slated in the 40s. He is a guy that has the potential to be Malcolm Brogdon-like in his impact as a rookie, uh, a four-year player like Brogdon, uh, a savvy college guy who was influential every year that he was on the team like Brogdon was, well-built like Brogdon, not tremendously amazing at one specific thing like Brogdon, but very mature, does so many things well. Um, I think he has a terrific shot, and I wrote about this on CBS, so I'm glad you asked me about Hart because I actually think his stock is way undervalued and underrated. Um, I think that he will be in the league six to ten years Probably a career backup for the most part, but if you're getting anyone in the second round and you're and you find out that you're going to get five good years out of them, okay, or three or three good years out of them, and then you're going to trade it for something that's going to pay off or whatever, like you're going to take that because second round guys is flyer city. Josh Hart for Phoenix, uh, personnel wise, I can't tell you how he he fits into their scheme there or whatever. I can just tell you as a player. Very in on Hart's work ethic, attitude, coachability, um, physicality. Could just be a guy that is able to average a meaningful 6.5 points, 3.9 rebounds, 2.8 assists, and a steal. And that's going to be enough. He's going to fit a role, and he can stick in the league for more than a half a decade, I think, easily. Very, 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 very interesting. Um, I've heard that there is a lot, lot of big, huge, massive amount of big men after maybe pick 20. Um, what do you hear about that and kind of what that means or how many of them get picked because there's so many of them or, and also combined with how the NBA is now looking at big men? Well, I won't speak to the few international guys that are out there. Um, I, I, there are some big, yeah, I mean, like Ivan Rab has slipped uh, in projections past 20. He would have been a top 15 pick last year. Um, who else? TJ Leaf and Ike Anigbagu from UCLA. Um, DJ Wilson, I guess, is technically a big, although I would not label him as a big, to be honest. Um, he's out there. Tony Bradley is out there. Jordan Bell, who's like, it's interesting. Like Jordan Bell is smaller than DJ Wilson, but he's more of a big to me, although he's like an athletic freak. Um, Jonah Bolden, an active big. Yeah, there are there are a lot of bigs out there. Caleb Swanigan, Swanigan. I, don't know, I mean, Swanigan deserves to be a top twenty pick. He's not going to go in the top twenty five, but I think he's awesome. Um, I don't know what this says about the fact that there are that many big men out there, um, and there's a, this convergence in the draft, Eric, on all these guys. Um, 
uh, all I can say is like of the guys that I mentioned, the one that I'm most unsure of is TJ Leaf, who had a great freshman year, and I do not believe that it was only because of Alonzo Ball being his teammate. Uh, I thought Leaf was solid. I can't tell you what kind of pro he's going to be. Um, I am in on Swanigan massively. I was in on Tony Bradley returning to UNC as a sophomore and being a top 15 player and turning into a lottery pick next year, and he's not going to have the chance to do that. I think Swanigan is the best. Jonah Bolden probably the second best of the bigs that I mentioned. Um, I, I like both of their NBA readiness, uh, good physicality. Bolden, who went to UCLA then played a season overseas, is... I feel as though the hype and the buzz on him is so big that it, it wouldn't shock me if he goes first round whatsoever. I think some mocks have, have him slated in the 30s. But, uh, yeah, Bold and Swanigan are the two bigs, I think, to keep an eye out on, on draft night. Very interesting. So you are the foremost um, proponent of Dennis Smith Jr.'s game. Give me why and how high he should go and how high he might go and how. Okay. Um, okay, so I... All right, let me. I can't speak to total team needs here, so. And I and I do wonder like where Smith goes, like if it would be good for him. I'll say I'll say. All right, so who's Orlando's point guard? What's the, what's Orlando's point guard situation right now? Um, they have they have a the guy with the mop head hair. Um, I'm trying to think of his name right now. I've been Peyton. What? Alfred Peyton. Alfred Peyton. That's exactly right. Yes. I've been. I usually always have his name in my head, and then it's just gone when we're talking. All right, so that's their point. Um, but he's not the future because he can't shoot. If I'm Orlando, I, listen. There are other prospects out there that I get are interesting. I just think I'm in on Dennis Smith. The reason why, and there's there's a lot of sellers on him because he has never really played for a winner. Um, sometimes his body. body. <laughs> Say it again. Say it again. Oh, well, no faults, but faults. Fultz actually, he he played well on a Team USA overseas tournament and like dominated, and he had some some success with Damatha. So there's like there's that. Whereas with Dennis Smith, at the AAU level, at the high school level, and NC State, he's kind of had inconsistency there. His body language isn't the best. Um, I think he's a super athlete. I think he's quietly confident. I don't think he's cocky. I think he knows what he, uh, he can and can't do. And I think that he is ready to be a guy that gets into the league, shuts the hell up, um, adapts, learns, accepts his role as kind of a backup point guard to start, but in short order will be able to establish himself as a starting worthy point guard by year two or year three. And I think he has a great jump shot. I think he creates off the dribble well through the crossover, off the off the bounce, and off the pass. I think he sees the floor well needs to get some of his court vision issues in control a little bit. I'm just a guy that's in on him. I could be way wrong. Dennis Smith could be the guy that is out of the league in five years and goes and dominates in Europe. Okay, maybe that maybe that happens. But I happen to like his demeanor, his game, and if he lands with the right franchise. And I think, you know, if he goes nine to Dallas, that'd be great. I don't think he should be playing in the triangle in New York. I think that would be a mistake. Um, so that's kind of my overall uh, outlook on Dennis Smith. I'm ready to be wrong, but I, I I think of him as highly as any other point guard in this draft in terms of upside. It sounds like uh, the foreign guy, Natikilia, I never know how to pronounce it, um, is going to Dallas potentially. 
Yeah, I don't know anything about that dude, but I thought he was projected outside the top ten. But if not, and he goes, he goes. Like, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, Frank Nitakilinina. Nita <laughs> I don't yeah, even know. I know. Exactly. Uh, I, I, dude, I'm not scouting international prospects. I got no desire to do that kind of stuff. So um, we'll leave that to other people. Um, yeah. So here's the, the final two questions, I guess: is what would surprise you the most, and what would surprise you the least? I mean, those are broad. Um, Surprise me the least. Well, I mean, uh, Fold's going number one is the least surprising. That, yeah, but that's just like a given now. Like we know that's going to happen. Um, surprise me the least would be Malik Monk to the Knicks. He's got a name. He's got star power. I can see that happening. But what surprised me the most is. Um, I want to make this like somewhat realistic. It would surprise me a good deal if Harry Giles was picked in the top twenty. I he is so interesting as a prospect. At one point, was considered the best player in his class, and he was in the same class as obviously all these other guys that are freshmen right now. Fultz. Josh Jackson, Lonzo Ball, Tatum, De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaac, Malik Monk, Dennis Smith, all Zach Collins, all these guys were in the same class as Harry Giles, and there was a time two and a half years ago when Giles was considered the clear-cut best prospect in that class. But he has had these knee issues. He's a great kid. Um, I wonder if someone's going to be willing to take a chance there in that spot. I think I would be surprised if it happened, although I think it would be pretty great if it did. So where do you think he lands up if it's not like the where do you think he probably lands up if he doesn't go top 20? I will say the Brooklyn Nets take him at 22. That's my official guess. Cuz they probably are cuz cuz Brooklyn's so terrible. Why not take a chance if he busts, he busts, whatever, you're already bad, but if he's good and he's really good, then he is a piece you could potentially really build around. So Nets 22, Harry Giles is my official guess. Um, any other final things? It's going to be a great Thursday night. That's all I got, man. We've uh, we've we've kind of rolled through this. I hope we've given listeners a good kind of overview on on you know the top ten specifically because that's what people have the most interest in. But a little bit of the mid to late first round and then some second round steals and all that. Appreciate you having me back on, buddy. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with the Suns and all of that. And going forward, what that uh, what that franchise can do, it will be an intriguing draft. Root for chaos to happen with Lonzo Ball, so I can get a really good quote from Lavar Ball. That's basically what I'm going to close. That's what we're looking for. And all of you who are listening, go go bookmark CBS and go find out whatever Matt writes on Thursday because it's going to be amazing. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon and uh, enjoy the draft. Wonderful. Let me uh, just say us out here. Let's see. Um, subscribe to the podcast, please, on Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Um, go follow me at Eric underscore Sar, and go follow Matt on Twitter. Most of you are probably are. Um, and also, like I said on the last podcast that will be up soon, is uh, I started a business called Elite Hoops Development. If you're in Arizona and Phoenix um, and have a kid or somebody that wants to train and get better at basketball, let me know. Certified by Impact Basketball that does all these draft picks. Um, have a good night, everybody. See you later.